This week on One Body Stewarding God's Creation, Dave Denudso talks about men, the light of the world. What prevents men from being the light of the world? Does our culture know what an authentic man looks like? Let's find out. Dave is being interviewed by Divine Mercy Radio's on-air host, Ken Billinger. Dave Denuzzo Sr. is our guest, graduated with a master's degree in pastoral theology, concentrating in evangelization and catechesis from the Augustan Institute in Denver, and what a great place that is. His undergraduate work is in business administration, concentrating in finance and a minor in theology from Benedictine College, another great institution. And he is a theology professor at St. John's Catholic School in Beloit, also runs a ministry. Uh, More can be found on his ministry. It's a great ministry called TrueManhood.com. Dave is married to Catherine. The couple has four children, and we welcome in. Always great to see Dave Denuzzo. Dave, how are you? Oh, I'm doing fantastic. Thank you again for having me. Oh, great to have you here. And we're going to talk, you know, the topic is men light of the world and how important it is for men to to really kind of have their stuff together, so to speak, right? Well, November 17th, the American Civil Liberties Union came out with a definition of a man. And this is, uh, I just kind of scratch my head when we look at the craziness going (laughs) on in our culture today. Here it is. There's no way to be a man. Men who get their periods are men, and men who get pregnant and give birth are men. Pretty, this is the first time I've seen this, so it's, I mean, uh, this, the culture is very confused right now. And I'll just go back to something I talked about yesterday, because uh, in our diaconate studies, we're in bioethics, after one of the classes, I th- we had a break, and I said, I'm going to go look and see how many genders that they say are out there now. And I think when I looked at that time, which is about a year ago, it was 66, and um and then we were talking about it at dinner the last diaconate weekend we had, formation weekend. And one of the guys said, no, that's up to 73 now. So it just it gets crazier and crazier. And we're in such a mixed up world, Dave. I mean, it's really hard to believe the things we're seeing in our culture today. Yeah, it's, you know, when we hear things like this. It's to the point where it's so confusing how this could even be put out by a rational person that – you know, we have these ideas of something that is actually really simple, the two genders, male and female, and we've confused it so much that there's 73 <laughs> supposed genders. And I think this speaks to how God created us and the fact that when we know we're created good, Genesis 1:26, we're created in his image and likeness. Mm-hmm. This makes us sons and daughters of the Father. And when we, when we lose that, which our culture has certainly lost, then they wander around looking for something else. And redefining it is not where they're going to find the answer. And they're going to continue to – it's going to – they're going to stop saying, well, well, there's 74 and 75 and you know, 100. And mm-hmm. they're going to start saying that gender is something completely different, which is really what they're saying at the same time. It's just so confused that it's sad and that, that people are this wounded. And if we could just get back to that basic male 
or female understanding. And that's genetics. Mm -hmm. That's science. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, but we're Catholic, so we hate science, right? Yeah, exactly. Obviously, we don't. (laughs) And we believe it because our God made it. it. It works. Absolutely. And I think that's the other interesting thing, because there was that whole thing of, you know, the faith or, um, you know, Christians against uh, science. And, and we know we, we're not that way. But now, really, when you look at this, this is a is this not opposing science? I think it is. You know, it's certainly opposing so. science and it opposes the science of reason, uh, the intellect. And um, there's no way to prove this. That's the thing. We have facts, chromosomal facts. We have the science to back it up. This doesn't back it up at all, that there's no one way to be a man. That's that's just simply not true. And this is what the devil does, though. He he takes what is good and beautiful. He takes the truth and he distorts it and he morphs things. And he takes things that if we would have been having this conversation five years ago, it would have looked different. Mm-hmm. Ten years ago, way different. Fifty years ago. This wouldn't be a conversation. Right, right. And the devil does this. He sticks things, you know, he sticks things in our culture, into our minds, into what we consume as if it's normal. And it's just not. But he's the father of lies, and that's what he does. So we have to be on the watch. Absolutely. We're talking with Dave Denuto, uh, men, the light of the world, and how important uh, the male role is in, in our world today. We we were talking, Donetta and I talked a little bit yesterday about, you know, uh, the women's movement and all of the craziness that has gone on and how things just really kind of steamrolled over the years and really, uh, you know, we're taking masculinity away. And we look at the shows that are on television today and most of the fathers that you see are bumbling idiots on the shows of today. It wasn't like the days of Ward Cleaver or Andy Griffith or John Walton, uh, some of the good old shows from years past that I still love to watch. Uh, it's just totally turned upside down. So there's a lot of challenges out there. So, Dave, let's talk about what defines a man. Well, First and foremost, it's, it's their sex, their gender. And, but how does a man act? What, what are the things that a man does? For me, for St. Thomas Aquinas, for the church traditionally and in the scriptures, even the Old Testament, it's what he does, how he acts. And that's based off of the topic of virtue and the ability to always pursue the good And the Catechism has a great understanding, a great section on virtue that challenges us to live a life of sacrament and grace so that we can be better than we naturally are, which is uh, we tend towards sin, concupiscence, and challenges especially men to live virtue, these good habits, these holy habits that are firm in us, that are not going to go away. This takes a lot of work. Excuse me. It takes a lot of effort. It's a constant, I call it the steep upward climb, where at the top is the goal. And to get there, we have to keep working and keep working and keep working. And if we stop, we'll backslide. Hmm. And at the bottom is vice. And we have to continually fight that, that desire to live in vice. And... What I love about the definition of virtue in the catechism is that it doesn't say to have these good habits, so the habitual and firm disposition to do the good, but not to do only to do good acts, 
but to give the best of ourselves. Hmm. And in a culture that's so distorted, so selfish, so self-centered, not needing God, not relying on God, acting like there's no God, we've just turned ourselves into all we need, and we Hmm. take and we steal and we abuse and we use instead of being gift. And that's what virtue is, to be a gift. So we're trying to mimic Christ on the cross and trying to make everything that we do about the other, right? Jesus Mm -hmm. tells us, love God and love neighbor. So again, simple concept, difficult to do it. And the men in our culture are not encouraged to do this. They're not taught how to do this. Um, I was having a conversation just the other day with a young lady about, you know, faithful Catholic women that are living out their true, authentic femininity, the feminine genius. They desire a very faithful Catholic man to come and be their knight in shining armor and live this virtuous life and do everything and lead properly and protect them. I just said, you, they don't know how. They don't know how. They, don't, they haven't seen it. They haven't been challenged to this. And so the ladies, they cannot lower their standards. We have to call myself as a man has to call other men. I mean, I have to do it myself first. I have to strive to be virtuous. You know, that's what I wake up every morning. And that's, that's my goal. Get better today. Be better so that I can be more of more of that um, of that self gift, and which is you know just trying to be loving like Christ mm-hmm. was. Dave, we talked about uh, because I I do prison ministry and have for the last fifteen years. And one of the there's so many things when you look at the sad state of affairs, but one of the things that really stands out with inmates and men that I talk to inside and the numbers I looked up numbers eighty five percent of men who are in prison never had a relationship with their father. If they did have a relationship, it wasn't a good one. Mm-hmm. And we see that, talk to so many guys who just say, I didn't, I just really didn't know my dad, or my dad left when I was three years old, or so many stories, and it just parallels the the whole problem with things, and we can see that, the importance of that male leadership in the home. Yeah, it's, it's no secret that the father wound is real, and that those suffering from the father wound are... They're, they're longing for acceptance and they're longing for love. Males, when, when they're longing for that, it doesn't match up well with the bravado, the machismo, what I call cultural manliness. It doesn't line up well, so they have to fake it or they think they have to fake it. And they have to put on this tough outer exterior that leads towards abuse of, uh, you know, drugs and alcohol, which we lose our reason. So then we fight or we do stupid things. We cause problems. And this is probably a vast majority of the stories of, of the inmates that you work with. Mm-hmm. But it's happening more and more frequently for people who are not in prison. Um, any anybody who has that hole they're longing to fill it up just very frequently it's not 
filled up with the right stuff. And the only way that we can overcome those difficulties is by allowing the love of the Father, the Heavenly Father, to fill that hole. That is super hard for people who either those who didn't know their dad or who they, they don't have a good connotation in their mind of father. That word is cringeworthy to them mm-hmm. or it's a very sore spot. So that's a long journey for a lot of people to understand the love of the father, right? That, you know, my father's abandoned me. My father's hurt me. My father has been less than what I needed. Why am I going to trust this other father figure that you talk of? You know, so we have to work to introduce men to the father, and that's hard. Yeah, that's really hard. Yeah. So. Well, and and, and to, to kind of piggyback on that one, this was actually I was listening to Catholic radio where I heard this story, and the fact was, or they they had interviewed um, Hugh Hefner shortly before he died. I don't know if you heard that about that, but. The, he, he did not have a relationship with his earthly father. But they posed that question to him because he was at least agnostic, or he may have been atheist, but he was at least agnostic. But the question they posed to him was, do you think that you um, did not really have um, a, a trust in God because of your you didn't have a relationship with your, your earthly father, so you really didn't you know, have a, any kind of relationship with a heavenly father? And it kind of stopped him in his tracks and said, you know, nobody's ever asked me that, but mm-hmm. I, there may be something to that. He, he kind of admitted now, I don't know how long, long before he died that that question was posed, and, and who knows what happened from that. But I just thought that was very interesting uh, perspective and, you know, hear it again from somebody who didn't have that relationship. Yeah, I, I always, whenever I have this conversation or talk about this topic, or even in my own prayer, my earthly father is awesome. He's my hero. I love him. We're very close. But I know that I'm I'm in the minority with that yeah, in our yeah. culture. But I <clears throat> I always take and think about Jesus and his earthly father, Saint Joseph. And that role that Joseph played, like Jesus in his humanity had to learn everything. Mm-hmm. He had to be taught. And <clears throat> he learned it from the Father. And so for the dads out there, I would just challenge you to be Joseph, to be more like Joseph. If you want your children to be in the faith, be in the faith. Make it a priority. If you want your kids to be virtuous, live virtue. You don't have to be perfect, but, like, let's try. You know, give it the effort because, one, you're worth it, and, two, your kids are worth it. And then you create a legacy that – you know, continues to to make an impact of positivity down the road and the opportunity to change, even if it's one person's life, it's worth it. And just along these lines with St. Joseph, if you've heard of Father Donald Calloway, Father Calloway has a new book coming out in the first quarter of 2020. I don't know the date exactly of when it's coming out, but it is it's a 30 day (laughs) consecration for the man, the individual, the family to St. Joseph. And it it is complementary to consecration to Our Lady. Mm -hmm. And it's beautiful. I've been able to preview the book. 
uh, he uses beautiful understanding of scripture, these great quotes from great saints who have honored St. Joseph throughout the time, you know, uh, throughout the church, uh, popes that have written about him. And when that book comes out, I'm going to really highly recommend that every man get that, read it and pray it, and then try to be like Joseph. Well, and um, yeah, and, and if if you don't know, and that that's one particular priest who they called a surfer dude, right? I mean, he had a kind of a wild life, and really Very had a, wild, yeah, yeah, really had a devotion to Mary. He had a book called uh, Under the Mantle, I think, was mm-hmm. the title of that, which was a great book, uh, Father uh, Calloway. And uh, so it's exciting to hear. I, I guess I wasn't even aware that he had this particular book coming out. So yeah, let's get the word out. Something um, worth, it'll be available soon. Something worth reading, definitely. Dave, Jesus said he's the light of the world. And what did he mean by that exactly? Well, in Scripture, light and dark are opposites, just like in <laughs> in nature. And anytime that in Scripture we see light, it refers to things that are good, holy, and visible. Things that are in the darkness are evil, deceptive, hidden away, shame-filled, and they are behind a cloud or a shroud, and they're, they're hidden. And when Jesus speaks about what he is, whether he says, I am the way, the life, and, and the way, the truth, and the life, or he says, I am the light, these are all pointing towards what he's doing as Savior, and it's a sacrificial action of what he does he comes to save us and what he's saying when he says i'm the light uh, i'm the light of the world he's meaning that he's bringing truth into the world that so badly needs it and that he is making things visible we think about the transfiguration where jesus takes his his accountability partners peter james and john they go up on the mountain and all the important things in Scripture happen on the mountain because the mountains are up <laughs> and God is up. So up there on the mountain where things are visible and he transfigures, his figure changes, he glows bright white. And what he's doing there and why we know about this and why we're able to meditate on this, this miracle This mystery is because Jesus is showing that he is bringing goodness, holiness, truth, visibility into the world so that we can live that way. He's calling us out of sin. He's calling us out of our selfishness. He's calling us out of our vice into a life of abundance. And don't get me wrong. This is not the uh, prosperity gospel, which... uh, (laughs) is a lie, but that we are, we're not called to be hidden, to be put away. We're not called to be in fear. We are called to be fully who God made us to be. And when he is calling Peter, James, and John, and he, he transfigures himself, Peter's all about it. He's like, let's stay. Let's, let's hang out. I mean, Even the Old Testament prophets are here with us. This is amazing. What he's trying to show us is, look, you can have this for all eternity. You just have to show, uh, you know, you have to put forth the effort. Let me show you how 
great this can be. And I think to translate this, and I always want to make things practical for the men who are listening, what does it mean for us to be light of the world? Well, we mimic Christ. He is the true God and true man. And in his humanity, his masculinity, he did it perfectly for us. So we work to mimic him and we're able to have life and become fully alive and not hide in the darkness. We all know those sins that we hide in the darkness and the shame we feel. And he is reaching out to us to say, you don't have to stay there. You do not have to remain in your sin and you can convert, you can turn away from sin, which we should do daily. We should convert so that we know the Lord and love the Lord. And like I said earlier on the steep upward climb, there's times when we backslide. There's times when, you know, some people, they just turn around on that, that steep mountain and they just ride it down like a slide. And they have a great time until they end up in despair and they're lonely and nothing's working out for them. Mm. And if we keep keep fighting, if you get knocked down, get back up. That's what the sacraments are there for. We need God's grace. He knew we needed them. He knew we needed the sacraments. So he gave them to us to redeem us, to forgive us, to purify us, and to keep us going. And so, guys... Be that light that Christ is. Bring your life into the light where it's transparent, it's visible, where you're not hiding things. And then you can follow Christ. Be like him. We need to take a short break right now, but stay tuned to Divine Mercy Radio. We'll be right back with more about men, light of the world with Dave Denuzzo. We're back on One Body, Stewarding God's Creation. Men, Light of the World. With Dave Denuzzo. Ken Billinger conducts the interview. Our guest is Dave Denuzzo Sr., and of course he is uh, uh, teaches at, he is a theology professor at St. John's Catholic School in Beloit, also has a ministry called truemanhood.com. You can find that online. It's a great ministry, and uh, we're talking about really how men can be the light of the world and how men are to carry on Jesus' mission. You, you kind of addressed that a little bit, but I, I don't know if you had more you wanted to share, that how men are to carry on that mi- mission of Jesus. Yeah, well, I think if we go back to the beginning part of this discussion today, where the ACLU comes out with this new definition of that there's no one way to be a man. That's just simply not true. And so if Jesus is setting an example for us and he is calling us to the perfection of masculinity, we simply do what he does. So um, how can we carry this out? Well, for the single men, you are working to make yourself the best you can possibly be. For the married men, you're working to make yourself the very best that you can be. For our priests, you're working to make yourselves be the best you can possibly be. There's a common, th- common thread here. 
regardless of our state in life, age, uh, our wealth or not, none of those factors change the fact that if we're going to carry out his mission, that we follow him and we should make ourselves work to make ourselves better. Now, how do we do that? Well, this involves the things that make us different than animals, and that's the intellect and the will. So we have a brain. We have the ability to think, use it. We have a will, the ability to choose, choose well. Otherwise, we're just animals, and that's what we have. We have a bunch of adolescent animals that don't think. They certainly don't think about the consequences don't think about the after effects when a life is lived in the darkness and a life is simply lived in a vicious way with sin and, and all of the things that the culture offers. So for all of us, we have to just wake up every day and try to be like Christ. I know it so- sounds simplistic, but it's, it's very difficult because we're enticed by sin. We're enticed by the ways of the world. We're enticed by our career, about provision, right? Those are some of those hard things where it's like, well, I have to work. I want to, be, I want to work well. I want to do well at my, at my career. I want to climb the ladder. I want to, I want to be able to provide, right? And I, I can offer this provision. Well, there's a, there's a temperate way to do this with moderation that we know our priorities and we know – when things are out of whack, we're going to be out of whack. So living virtue, following in Christ's footsteps, being like him is really about ordering our lives properly so that they're not disordered and chaotic. And I think that's very common. Men are just going through life and life happens to them, but they're not, they're not actively embracing what it truly means to order their life. And we have to be in control of this. Again, not just animalistic, but actually an intelligent, willful person. And God gave us these gifts. It's our, it, you know, it's, it's our responsibility to use them properly. We have to have our for- consciousness formed. We have to learn in the faith. Uh, we have to, it's a lot, but guess what? The outcome, if you don't do this is eternal damnation. So we got to decide what's more important, making the next buck, putting in the next hour of work, keeping up with the Joneses, some sort of prestige, or eternal life. And that priority has to be set in place, and we have to work towards it. You know, Jesus's mission, that's the question here is, how do men carry on Jesus's mission? Well, what's his mission? Well, he came to be a sacrifice. He didn't make it about himself. There's no way anybody's signing up for the Paschal Mystery. But he did it because it was the will of the Father. And he came as sacrifice to, to die for us. And guys, we're all called to die to self for the good of our spouse, our children, our coworkers, our friends, our families. And... This is what I love about authentic masculinity is it's so countercultural. The culture has no idea what to do with us. But guys, when you do it, other men will see it and they will want it because they know that living the other way 
doesn't pay off. Mm. And it ends up in despair, the lack of hope. And this is a, a crazy culture we live in today, Dave. How can men fight the culture that embraces thoughts like what the ACLU is now spewing, I guess I'll put it that way. That's just yeah, so I mean, that's a good word for it. Um, <laughs> oh. Well, there's a lot of ways that I think we can fight. One, I think, is individually to make ourselves who we know we need to be. So living a life of sacrament, living a life of prayer, that's a great place to start, probably the place to start. So frequent reception of the Eucharist, doing so in the state of grace, so availing ourselves of the sacrament of penance and having a daily prayer life. And I'm going to suggest that that daily prayer life be your own prayer life, but then also if you have people in your care that you're also praying with them, your wife, your children, possibly your coworkers, possibly your employees and so forth. When we start with ourselves, we can have a great impact because we have relationship with people. And in my experience, relational evangelization is the primary way to change people's hearts or like to introduce them to Christ and let Christ and the spirit change the hearts. I'm a product of this. I was living one way that was very opposite of what I'm describing now of how we should live. And I just had people in my life, thank the Lord, these people were in my life to challenge me out of, you know, I say to challenge me out of my stupid and by them, by, you know, by their witness, they were living a particular way and I could see it. It was visible. They were different. And I desired that so much. If, if we're not living that way, you know, the scripture talks about um, having an indescribable and glorious joy. Like when we're, when we're followers of Christ, this is not something we do begrudgingly. We should be joyful in this. It's actually a stipulation of having a virtue is that we do it easily, promptly, consistently, and joyfully. We should have this. It should be very apparent that there's something different about us. And so when, we are de- when we're up against this insanity in the culture of, you know, groups like the ACLU, which if they're your definition source, right, if they're your dictionary, you better find a different dictionary because they distort everything. Um, but the idea that there's no one way to be a man, we can't define this, there's 70-some genders, and, you know, men, men who get their periods are men? What? That's insanity. It doesn't even make sense. It, do, it makes no sense. And that, and that distortion. So what do we do? Okay, ourselves, we become saints. We try to become saints, knowing that it's done by grace, nothing we could do. We don't, we don't, we don't warrant Jesus's forgiveness. We, we can't steal his grace. We can't demand his grace. We can't buy his grace. It's a gift. So recognizing that we, okay, so we change ourselves by we, by living a life of sacrament, by living a life of prayer, by educating ourselves. 
But if we can live the virtue of kindness, this is not, <clears throat> you know, it's, it's, we, we want to live a bunch of virtues. We only have all the virtues, but to be kind, it's going to start with respect. Like I acknowledge that people, even though I disagree with them, even though we have very different ideologies and very different moral values and very different, almost everything, probably I acknowledge that they're my brother or sister in Christ. And by the sheer fact that they were created good by the father, that I'm going to respect them. I'm going to acknowledge that they they may not do it back to me and that's okay. I'm going to still do it. And I'm going to work to build, like if I'm going to be pro-life, for instance, th their life matters too. Even somebody I disagree with, mm -hmm. even somebody with these completely ridiculous definitions about masculinity and about truth. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of ways to fight. Fighting on our knees. You know, I, I joke around that um, I have an automatic weapon in my pocket and it's got a 50 round capacity, you know, and that's my rosary. Mm -hmm. And the rosary, you know, it has a Marian aspect, but it's Christocentric. It's about Christ. It's about his life and that meditation on him. So we can change the world if we work to change ourselves first. And then people, sh people should see us and want to have what we have. You know, and I lived that. I, I saw that in my friends and they just challenged me in a, in a loving, respectful, kind way mm. to say, look, there's better for you. But, you know, our culture with this fight, what's so hard is we don't play by the same set of rules that they do. They don't play by rules. Right. They make the rules up and change the rules as they go. Yeah. And so you got to be cunning and you got to be smart, but always – always virtuous well um you know it's interesting too as i look at this i'm just looking at this acl you think because i hadn't <laughs> seen this before so i'm really scratching my head right but it's there's no logic it's not even logical i mean dr spock on star trek i'm talking would say this is highly <laughs> illogical right I mean, it's beyond belief yeah and this is where our culture has come today which is really pretty amazing so we talk about how we can fight this and how can we as a church help form godly men? What are some points there that you can make as far as helping to form godly men through the church? Well, it all goes back to the Father, and it is a, is a direct correlation. Uh, we've probably heard these statistics before that when the mother practices the faith— the kids are still incredibly likely to leave the church mm -hmm. in their, you know, young adulthood or teenage young adulthood age, you know, that, that period of time. But when the father practices the faith, the children are 90% plus going to stay faithful. Mm. So do the math, dads. Do the math. Again, is that next buck, is that next promotion is that next accolade more important or you resting or you doing your hobby is it more important than the salvation of your children obviously not so as a church the mystical body of christ 
We have to look to the dads. And moms, we love you, and we can't replace you. Your role is vital. When it comes to forming godly men, it's got to start with the dads. Now, what do we do when the dad's just not there? The other men, you have to step in. You don't become the dad, but you set the example. And we, we always want the best thing. We all, the intent is always excellence or the best scenario or the best, the best process. But we all know that that doesn't just happen. So the ability to step in when there's a need, whether it be a younger family member, whether it be a neighbor or, you know, I try to do this with my students that I know their dads are either absent or, you know, perhaps not in the faith or whatever. I try to set a good example. I try to love that child. I try to challenge that child. I try to draw them out of their woundedness. Not, not myself in like that I have the power to do this, but, um, you know, with my students, I pray with them every day in class, take them to adoration every week. They're able to get into the confessional. So like mimicking that, having them mimic the behavior, you know, I, I go to daily mass. I'm in the confessional every other week. I, I just, I'm, I'm honest with them. Like, guys, this is hard. I'm not good at it. You know, this is what I struggle with. Mm -hmm. This is how I work on it. And I think that honesty, like talking about forming godly men, we have to stop doing it the way the culture says we should do it. You know, that's that I mentioned it earlier, the, the definition I have for how the culture sees masculinity called cultural manliness. This idea that the more power, money, sex and stuff that a male consumes, the more manly he is. And this is just simply a lie. We're not just here to consume things. The consumables are there and they're, they're available, but they're not the end. They, they are not what should motivate us. So the culture looks around and says, hey, well, I can get all this stuff. I could, I could have as many sexual partners as I want. I can have women in my life. I can try to get more and more and more power and I can buy whatever I want. Look at me. I'm so manly. And it all crashes and burns. It's all empty. So those things aren't bad in and of themselves. But when that's our motivation, then not only does it hurt us, but then the younger men or the guys around us trying to see this, they try to emulate that as well. And we just have this cycle of adolescence, right? Because the opposite of masculinity is childishness. We have a bunch of child, you know, children walking around, these adult children, a bunch mm -hmm. of boys. And so we got to change that. We have to change that. And we can form them well, form them in virtue, challenge them, call them to something higher. Be like Christ. What do you try to instill in young men who are, you know, in those years of being formed and really guiding them and showing them the importance of being a man? First and foremost, for all the kids, I have, I have a very simple set of rules in my classroom, three rules. The first rule is God loves you. So I have it plastered up from right behind where I stand. So if they, if they happen to daydream and, you know, ignore my incredible teaching and my <laughs> lectures, 
they can they can doze off or you know kind of fade off and then get their eyes caught on that sign that said God loves you. And that's where I start with everything. Because if they don't know that they are a son or daughter of God, all the facts, all the memorization, you know, the dates of when this thing or that thing happened and what saints the patron of what, if that doesn't penetrate the heart, if they don't encounter God, none of this stuff's going to matter. So I want them to know that they are loved. The context there is then that therefore that they are good. Because a lot of these kids, they don't, they don't hear I love you. So I tell them. I tell them all the time. And at, at first, when the sixth graders come into my classroom, they're like, whoa, why is this big, bearded, ugly dude <laughs> telling me he loves me? Like, yeah. well, because I do, for one thing. Meaning, I would die for you. And then I prove it to them over time that they can trust me that not only does God love you, but I love you. So at least they're hearing it from somebody. And so I start there with every student. With the boys individually, I challenge them to, uh, well, just like what I've said, live a life of sacrament and prayer, that they need to fight the culture, that the stuff that they're hearing, seeing, ingesting, consuming, that it's dangerous if it's not regulated and it's dangerous if it's the wrong stuff. And I specifically teach virtue in eighth grade and in 10th grade. So I kind of intro it in eighth grade with theology of the body. And then in 10th grade, we go deeper into it. And in 10th grade, we're also preparing for confirmation and we're doing morality. So with the boys, I have this opportunity to recognize the struggles of the teenage years recognize the struggles of home life and the pressures that are on them and then be there with them, walk it with them, be available to them. And I'm also the strength coach. So I love to help all the kids, but the, the boys to learn whole life, whole body, whole soul kind of procedures, kind of lifestyle. So at the beginning of every class, I'm right next to my weight room. So all the kids walk in and they have a movement that they have to do before class starts. So it might be push-ups, it might be uh, dumbbell press, it might be burpees, it might be box jumps, it might be whatever to get moving. And I want them to not be afraid of the weight room. And then when I have them in strength conditioning or on the powerlifting team, it's Trying to work to show them that, look, if you put work in, you can actually achieve your goals. You can actually be different. And also, the last thing I would say is I always challenge them to look ahead. What's along the horizon? Where do you want to be? It doesn't matter what's happened to you. It doesn't matter what situation you come from. What is it you want for your life? And I beg them to show me a case when unless that thing that they're wanting to do is vicious or immoral, that being a faithful Catholic is only going to aid them in getting there. So why not? Mm. I offer to take them to mass. I offer to hang out with them. You know, I offer retreats and want them to come. So it's just this whole picture of one, you're good, you're loved. 
And there's so much out there for you that's great. And oh yeah, eternal life. Let's go there together. We've got about five minutes left, Dave. Let's talk a little about, uh, unless you had something else you wanted to add, but really want to talk a little bit about truemanhood.com as well. Put a plug in there. Yeah, well, True Manhood, I started in 2008. I was a young, young husband, young dad, and I just didn't know how to do it. <laughs> I didn't know how to do it well. We've been married 13 and a half years now, four kids. I still am not good at it. But yeah, True Manhood kind of came out of a personal need. Like, I need to be challenged. I need to fight the culture. I need help in certain areas. What's out there? And there wasn't, at the time, there wasn't a lot out there. Thank God there's a lot more out there now. Really fantastic opportunities for men to learn and read and be held accountable and to be challenged and to be active. And those are just great things. So, True Manhood is all sorts of different things. Uh, One, it's an antiquated website, so you can go there. It may not work that well on your (laughs) smartphone, sorry. But there's years and years of blog posts. There's podcast episodes. There's uh, Divine Mercy Radio archives that I've done shows on. Mm -hmm. Um, There's some videos. And then I travel around. I give uh, parish talks diocesan, like men's conferences. I also do retreats, father-son events. I offer outdoor retreats. And anytime that I have the opportunity to help a man out of the place that I used to be or to help prevent a man from going there, I want to do that. Hmm. So if I can help in any way, I want to be able to help people and try to be a resource to them. If, uh, you know, we're going to have the students come in and we're going to plug our school because we love our school and our school is the best. We're fantastic. We're amazing. But we've got a long way to go. But I just I'm not trying to take people away from any other schools. But if if you want this best thing for your kids, consider St. John's and Beloit. We're trying to do this every day. Um, I mean, I do it true manhood, but. My goal is just to be an evangelist and just share the message with people that they're loved and they're good and that let's get to heaven together. Let's be saints. Thanks for tuning in to this week's One Body Stewarding God's Creation show. If you can help keep great shows like this on the air, please go to dvmercy.com and click on Donate, where your donation will be seen and appreciated. You're listening to 105.7 KMDG Hayes, 101.7 KJDM Lindsborg Salina, 88.1 KRTT Great Bend, and 88.1 KVDM Hayes. If today you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. One body, stewarding God's creation.